Welcome to the Leadership Unscripted podcast presented by Hiring Strategies. The Leadership Unscripted podcast is your go-to source for all things people management oriented. In each episode, we discuss industry trends, problems, and more importantly, offer solutions. We are so happy you could join us. Welcome to Leadership Unscripted. Um, This is a podcast put on by Hiring Strategies. Um, And really the goal of Leadership Unscripted is to be real, authentic, and unscripted about what is going on in the world of leadership today. This is a podcast for you. We are looking for you to participate. We want to guide this conversation around the questions that you have and the things that are challenging you in this new employment economy because leaders are struggling right now. And I am super excited. Um, I'm Kim Lathan with Hiring Strategies, and I have two experts in their field today with us. And I'm proud to call these people um, colleagues and friends. Um, The first one that I want to introduce to you is TJ Kastning. TJ is the CEO of the Ambassador Group and ConstructionRecruiting.com. He is an absolute expert in recruiting in the construction industry, although I will tell you that um, he is an expert in recruiting in general. Um, I met TJ because we were introduced through a a mutual client, and um, I was taken by TJ and drawn into TJ because his goal um, at the time, I don't know if it's still a goal or not, TJ, um, but just I have to say it because um, it's what connected me to you. And that is that he um, had a goal of creating a 100% guarantee on his recruiting. Um, that's a really big, I've been in recruiting on both sides of the table as inside an organization, as well as um, as a search consultant. And that's a challenge because there's once you place someone in an organization, you lose complete control of that candidate. Um, And so there's leadership, there's culture, there's uh, management styles, there's work styles, there's all these things that go into whether or not this person is going to be successful in that organization. And as a search consultant, you have zero control over that. So to even attempt or dream about creating a 100% guarantee on your placements, um, it was fascinating to me. And TJ's brilliant. And I'm excited to talk with him today about what is emotional intelligence and how is it impacting hiring right now? Um, the other person that I want to introduce is Kelly Ashby. And Kelly um, is our emotional intelligence expert. She is a consultant with Genos International. And um, she and I met through Genos. And um, she is here to, I mean, I start with you, Kelly, because I want you to define for us what is emotional intelligence? And again, I want to encourage those of you that are listening to please jump in to um, jump in to this conversation with questions, with comments, with your struggles. I want this to be a real 
and unscripted conversation about emotional intelligence in hiring. So Kelly, will you give us a quick overview of what is emotional intelligence and why is it important? Sure, uh, Kim, you know, that's a, that's a big question, especially in this, in this day and age of, you know, workplace and talent recruitment and talent retention. Uh, emotional intelligence is one of those things that has become a critical skill across all um, levels of an organization, as well as all industries. And some people think, you know, emotional intelligence only applies to, you know, the people that are really bugged out and stressed out and just kind of at their wits end and can't manage the ups and downs that, that life presents us. Or on the flip side of that, it's, you know, the people who are, you know, really experts at meditation and, and yoga and, you know, kumbaya. Um, so I'm here to tell you that it's somewhere in between um, both of those extremes and that none of us is emotionally intelligent all of the time. So the textbook definition of emotional intelligence is it's the ability um, and the skills to perceive, understand, express, reason with, and manage emotions both within ourselves and other people. So I always talk about it being two sides of a coin. What do we got to do to you know, manage ourselves and keep ourselves resilient when life presents the challenges that life presents, but also how are we showing up on the other side of the coin? How are we showing up with others so that we can help them stay in their most productive and high performance states of mind? So another way to think about emotional intelligence is really, it's just about being smarter with feelings and using emotions to get those positive results, again, within ourselves as well as other people. So I'm gonna explain just a little bit about the science. So hopefully nobody checks out you know, on me um, when I explain this part, uh, but this is a really critical part about emotional intelligence that all of us need to have down as a foundation really. And so um, this, this slide is read left to right. Uh, every time we have an encounter with another person, we are biologically wired to size up that encounter and decide whether or not that encounter is a threat or a reward, a positive encounter or a negative encounter. And so the amygdala, the amygdala is the part of our brain that is assigned this job to very quickly and unconsciously decide, is this a good situation for me or not? And it unconsciously and very quickly sends a message to this part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is in the thinking part of our brain. Our thinking part of our brain decides, okay, so what's the next thing I should do? And so the prefrontal cortex is responsible for helping us decide what's the best thing to say, what's the, net, what's the best thing to do, determine good from bad, better from best, all the important things that we need to do to be able to connect, build rapport, um, collaborate, and communicate well with other people. And so real quickly, I'll just give an example. So if, for example, we are in a meeting with someone and we're brainstorming ideas about uh, whatever, it doesn't matter even what the topic is, and whoever's facilitating that discussion, uh, you know, just says, hey, you know what, Kim, that's a great idea. Tell me more about that. Well, most likely the amygdala is going to 
decide, hey, this is a good situation, a reward situation. I feel valued. I feel like I can make a meaningful contribution. It's going to tell the prefrontal cortex, this is a safe situation. Let's engage. Let's take risks. Let's communicate more. If, on the other hand, the person facilitating just totally dismisses your idea or glosses over your idea and doesn't engage you any further, Kim, you're probably going to feel, you know, a little bit of these emotions, frustrated, stressed, concerned, worried. Why is Kelly, you know, doing this? Why is she ignoring my ideas in this setting? And what will happen then is the prefrontal cortex will say, this is not a safe situation. And we will become more narrowed in our thinking. We'll have a limited amount of um, options that we think about, and we may even totally disengage from that conversation. In other words, our thinking skills actually get hijacked because, you know, like I said, we're biologically wired for this. We're biologically wired to look for safe situations. And if things are not safe, we're looking to fight or flight. So let me just move into this slide real quickly. So the majority of people tend to fall, if you think about a bell curve, they tend to fall in that middle section. Most people fall in that area where, you know, that they're not really all that memorable. They're okay. Um, you know, we, if we were going to describe how they show up with us, if they're just kind of average, we're going to be like, they were okay. We're not going to be, you know, screaming from the the rooftop saying this is a great person to work with for and around. And so what we want to do is we want to develop those behaviors associated with emotional intelligence to just nudge everybody just a little bit so that they can become more memorable and memorable in a positive way. And so the nice thing about the model of emotional intelligence that I'm certified in, the Genos International model is it's a behavior-based model and behaviors can be learned. Absolutely. Thank you. And I think it's important to talk about, um, you know, there are tons of studies around emotional intelligence and the studies are showing that when you score um, higher on an emotional intelligence assessment, that that correlates directly with some very specific workplace variables, workplace performance, leadership effectiveness, sales and customer service. So the higher your emotional intelligence, the better your sales and customer service people are going to be. Resilience, teamwork, effectiveness, and employee engagement. So it's important to bring into your organization, what I'm hearing you say, Kelly, highly emotionally intelligent people and within your organization to coach and develop emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Yes. Because we're, we're all born with varying degrees of emotional intelligence and even the atmospheres within where we were raised and what kind of encounters we had in the workplace really determined how much we will demonstrate this. But if a company tells its employees, hey, this is important, then obviously people are going to want to invest in learning more about this, especially to reap the rewards that you just described, Kim. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And I think it's important. I just want to mention this. You know, there are 
there are a handful of emotional intelligence assessments out there to help develop and coach emotional intelligence. Um, to my knowledge, Genos is the only organization that has an employment screening tool, um, an employment assessment that will measure emotional intelligence for candidates. So I just want to mention that um, before we move forward. Thank you for giving us that quick overview and definition. TJ, jump in here. Um, how do you see, well, first of all, let me back up and ask you a, a, a little bit of a personal question. Um, uh, how has emotional intelligence impacted you and your organization to this point? Well, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, that goal that you mentioned in your, your very nice introduction, it, it really is um, critical to, for us to work with clients who are emotionally intelligent and to work with candidates who are emotionally intelligent because what I've learned in about 12 years of recruiting now is we can do a lot of things right and wrong and success is largely predicated on the type of relationship that the candidate and the client develop together. Mm -hmm. And that is entirely dependent on their emotional intelligence, right? It's their ability to get past the interview veneer, to have a real vulnerable conversation, to create real conceptual agreement, um, to talk about negatives in the role. And so, yeah, we would like to have 100% uh, win rate when it comes to the people that we match with clients. I think we'll be working on that for the rest of, of our lives, but I've learned it's just, you can do so much, but at the end of the day, that relationship between people is the most important thing and how we choose the clients we work with and the candidates we work with is everything, which has set me on this course of learning about emotional intelligence, because my past, I grew up with a very entrepreneurial father and, you know, let's just say he had some gaps in his emotional intelligence. Um, very smart guy, had a great business, great reputation, great, did a great uh, product, provided a great product, but lacked the emotional intelligence to empower other leaders in his organization and was stuck in a cycle of micromanagement. And it was brutal. 20-year business, burned them out. And I saw firsthand what that costs a business to be in reactive mode um, where all that weight and pressure rests on one person. And I don't want it for myself. I don't want it in my own business. I don't want it in our clients' businesses. Um, so part of this is the journey is for myself in ambassador group uh, to provide the kind of business and experience for my employees um, and for myself, but it's also in pursuing that goal of having 100% fit is pursuing working with the right clients. And then, you know, everybody's on a journey. Nobody's arrived with emotional intelligence. And so I really want to find the people who are on that journey with humility and vulnerability. And those are the people that we have the highest chance of being successful with, you know, when they're still, still learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, disrupting um, the current marketplace. What's happening right now 
that we are seeing, um, that emotional intelligence, how is emotional intelligence impacting hiring? Yeah, I think there's a positive way to spin this and a negative way. The <laughs> Let's start with the negative, right? Negative okay. cells in a way. Um, so the negative way is employees have more mobility than ever, right? Indeed, job boards, recruiters, um, remote work, uh, it, it and just overall an expectation that people move jobs frequently is very prevalent. And so it's not hard for people to, to get new jobs on, on average. Obviously, there's, there's exceptions to this, but if you're talking about skilled people, no problem. And this is different, right? So what we've experienced is watching a generation that where the employers had more leverage, there was less mobility, there was less access to the job market, uh, remote work wasn't really much of a possibility. And now you've got Starlink and people are you know, working for employers all the way across the globe from campsites in rural places where they're running off of solar. Um, it's just the game has changed. And so employers who haven't kept up with their need to compete on that landscape are running into some real challenges in, in just competing for the talent. But then when it comes to retaining the talent, um, and I'll, I'll switch to the positive side here, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for humble, emotionally intelligent leaders to cultivate viciously competitive, in a good sense, companies and teams that um, defy a lot of these trends that are going on, which are frankly, in my opinion, unprofitable for just about everyone. You know, if you, as, a, as an example of that, you know, you've got this conventional wisdom of people making changes every two to three years in order to get pay raises. And it's a pretty stern criticism of the employment, the general employment culture and uh, outlook that these people have. If they have to go to somebody who doesn't know them well in order to get a raise, what does that say about the people that they're working for, right? Well, there's, there's, there's a way to approach our businesses with an emotional awareness for, for them and for ourselves that allows us to build tight, cohesive, loyalty-filled, commitment-filled teams that defy these norms, provide people with incredible experiences, um, and also provide our customers with incredible experiences, not just in recruiting, but just any business, whatever it is. If you have loyal, highly engaged, committed employees, you know, they are going to provide great experiences for your customers and they're going to do things that no micromanaging leader could ever accomplish. Okay. So the landscape is shifting. And this is, you know, kind of what's drawn my attention to emotional intelligence is because if I, I recognize that if I don't cultivate this, and Kelly has been extraordinarily helpful in my own emotional intelligence. Um, and if we're not in a position to guide clients and candidates towards recognizing the just, and I'm going to try to use some extreme language, I would say a brutal competitive advantage that emotional intelligence is, um, you know, then we're not going to be serving them as well as we could. So if we think of emotional intelligence like like IQ, right? IQ is strongly correlated to success in the workplace in terms of finding solutions to problems. 
that EQ is really the, the intelligence necessary for delivering those solutions within teams. So you can have extremely smart people solving problems, but if they fail to have EQ, they're going to struggle with clients. They're going to struggle with uh, coworkers. They're going to struggle to make a meaningful contribution to the culture. Um, but a leader who is sensitive to these things, who's hiring for these things, who's mentoring for these things, they have an opportunity in this market to clean up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kelly, can you comment on what are you seeing from leaders right now? Because you're doing the um, actual coaching and developing of leaders. Um, what are you seeing right now in, um, they're coming to you, I, I want to grow my emotional intelligence. Um, what are your ahas from that experience in this market? Yeah, well, I think that I think that there's some generational differences, to be quite honest, um, that are at play with some of this as well. Um, what I mean by that is that, you know, our, our baby boomers were led and managed in a certain way. And that's what, you know, not to be stereotypical, but that was the example of the role modeling that was um, put forth. And what we're finding now is that the, the younger generations, your millennials, your, your Generation Z, your Gen Zers, that type of leadership and management just does not resonate with them. And so um, they are looking for these kinds of environments where, you know, their leaders and their supervisors are more in tune to, you know, being compassionate and understanding others' perspectives and actually taking time and effort to find out what people are thinking and feeling as it relates to their to their role, their manager, their team, and the organization as a whole. And so in my opinion, if if leaders don't adapt to what is the reality, um, they're really going to struggle and, and possibly have a very difficult time retaining and certainly attracting new talent. And so it's it's a must a must do in my opinion as far as um, recognizing the value of this. And and you know, I always kind of joke around with leaders and it's like emotional intelligence isn't about bringing puppies to work and you know, rubbing warm, you know, puppy tummies at work. It's about showing up in a way that inspires and empowers other people that um, demonstrates empathy. It's being really present and knowing how, how emotions are impacting us every day, all day long, and impacting three really big things, performance, behaviors, and decision-making. And so far, I haven't run into any, you know, business owner or supervisor or manager who says, you know what, Kelly, those three things just aren't that important here. Right. It <laughs> <That> doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, you said that millennials and Zers are there. They're looking for something different. I would almost change that wording and say they are demanding something different. True. Um, they are absolutely, they won't apply for jobs that don't fit who they are and what they want. Um, and they absolutely will walk out of your organization in a week or two 
if you do not present in an emotionally intelligent way um, and have given them um, a fair and reasonable job description that really represents what it is you're asking them to do. Um, they will not stick around. TJ, what's your um, experience with that so far? What are you seeing on the candidate side? You know, I mean, this is just my opinion. I don't have any data to, to back this up, but but I sense what you're pointing at, which I agree with, is due to just the fact that just leverage has changed. Yep. They have so many options. You know, if you look at like, you know, when Ford was the only factory in town and you wanted a, a job at the factory, right? You had to put up with whatever supervisor was running the Ford factory. Um, you just didn't have options. Now, everybody's got options and it's almost overwhelming how many options you have with remote work and, you know, all of these different job boards and uh, recruiters are everywhere. So, so it's, it's, I think we have a, another problem on the other direction too, of there's so many options and there's almost like a, a little bit of FOMO a lot of times in younger candidates where it's like, boy, if I commit to this as my profession or to this leader, to this company, what else am I missing out on? Because there's all these other options. Um, and you need a leader who can connect with that person and build confidence and build trust that they are going to be cultivated as a person. And I don't think that's changed. I don't think human nature has changed. It's just their ability to, like you said, demand it has changed. Um, you know, people have always had a high esteem for themselves at work, uh, or at least wanted more for themselves at work. And so people want to be developed. Uh, they want to be invested in and mentored and grown because they want more for themselves. They want to improve their life. They want to improve their earnings, their fulfillment, their the the return on the time that they spend at work. Which doesn't say to me that they're lazy. No. <laughs> Are you seeing lazy, unproductive? Are you seeing those things that we're hearing in the marketplace right now from leaders? Um, I don't know if I see lazy, but this this could be part partially a little bit of a bias due to the market that we serve. We're, we're serving typically more senior professionals. And if somebody's gotten to that stage, they might have been filtered out already. Um, I also suspect every generation has taken shots at the last or the next generation's laziness, you know, and, and how normal is that for, for younger people to not have a singular focus on success? They don't know what, they don't have those things to find for themselves yet. So yeah, I'm not sure that's ever going to change necessarily. Um, what I am seeing a bit, I'll say is perhaps a lack of awareness on both sides of between the employer and the employer of really recognizing what the other side is up against um, employers who don't understand what employees want from a, from a growth standpoint from a mentorship standpoint from from an emotional experience at work standpoint um, maybe don't understand how intimidating interviewing can be when it's done so rarely and, 
and, and how hard it is to go into an interview thinking, well, maybe I want to work for this firm or maybe I don't. And how do I decide if this is a company has a good culture and are good people, right? Like, how do I look past the facade that we, that we put on? Um, and likewise, on the, the candidate or the employee side, empathizing with the fact that businesses are afraid of giving responsibility to the wrong people and they're trying um, at least in the ideal their best to make good decisions about who they hire who they give responsibility to how they serve the rest of the business and their customers with that hiring and and so you see behavior on both sides that really has an element of entitlement um not showing full respect to the other side, which is where I think emotional intelligence really comes into play to facilitate a high resolution conversation between the parties. Absolutely. I'm aware of a situation. I know someone who's going to interview um, this week and they received an email from the organization stating how the interview was going to go. And the inter, it literally said, you will be asked a series of questions um, from one panelist at a time, you will not get to ask any questions. You can ask them to repeat the question one time. They will not elaborate on the question. And, um, you can at the very last question, you can ask two questions. And I'm thinking to myself, how does this facilitate that re- the, exactly what you said, TJ, is how do you understand in that kind of an environment the in, what the employee needs from you? Because if you can't deliver what the employee needs from you, they're not going to stay. Um, and can we, can we have can do a little exercise? Can we speculate uh, as charitably as we can on why the company or organization is setting it up like this? Sure. I mean, they're not trying to be bad, right? They're, they, they've it probably had pain in their hiring process and they've literally designed it like this. So we're laughing, but yeah. somebody thought, yep, this is the way, right? It so why structured because we want to limit our risk. We want to yeah. limit our liability. We want to see how each candidate performs under this kind of pressure. Absolutely. It's not done because they are... Um, they're trying to create a, a bad atmosphere or a negative atmosphere for the candidate. Um, they're trying to limit, I think, exposure, number one. And number two, um, I think it is a little bit of naivety, right? It's not understanding the market right now, not mm-hmm. understanding the employment relationship and that it really is a relationship. Um, and you cannot build a relationship um, on that kind of an interaction. Um, and this kind of gets bad. I want to jump back to something you said earlier, Kelly, about vulnerability and trust, right? We have to create vulnerability, vulnerability and trust within those relationships. Um, and talk, can you talk a little bit about how vulnerability and trust plays into emotional intelligence? Sure. Um, one of the one of the critical competencies for emotional intelligence is authenticity, and so authenticity has to do with you know basically showing up as our true selves and feeling uh, 
comfortable and with comfort means trust in others that I can show up as my true self. And um, I can express my thoughts, opinions, and feelings. And again, you know, obviously workplace appropriate um, and contribute to discussions and contribute to relationship building that reduces assumptions. And so when we don't have an authentic and genuine environment um, and somebody's grumping around, storming around, you know, being, being snarky and upset about things, we all make assumptions as to why. Um, and especially if that person doesn't feel comfortable enough, doesn't trust us enough to, to explain the why behind it. Now, obviously this is contextual. Every situation doesn't require somebody to, to bear everything. Um, but when we are so guarded that we can't be our authentic, genuine selves, we, we basically build a wall between us and, and the people that we're trying to lead and work with. Well, and rather than, sorry, go ahead. No, rather than building that relationship of trust um, with the other person. Go ahead, Absolutely. Kim. Absolutely. Sorry for interrupting. I, I was just going to say, and I think in the world of hiring, if you don't have that vulnerability to say, here's my weakness, then you're going to hire everybody who has the skills and abilities, but nobody to hire you're not going to hire the people that need to fill in the gaps. So we have to be open to having that conversation about what are our vulnerabilities and what are our weaknesses and what do we need to bring into the organization to cover those for me? Because I'm not good at everything. I can't be good at everything. Um, and so we have to open that, that conversation up and be willing from a candidate perspective and an employer perspective. And right now, especially on the candidate side, we're teaching candidates to put everything that's positive in a resume, to interview and only put your best foot forward, to, I mean, we're, we're for, for, the, for as far back as I know, that's what we're training candidates to do instead of saying, hey, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not good at. And if I'm coming into your organization and I'm not good at this and there's nobody else that's good at this, maybe this isn't the right role for me or the right organization for me. And um, we have to be able to have those authentic conversations. And that plays, emotional intelligence plays a big part in that. Um, if we are not emotionally intelligent as candidates, then we're not going to be able to do that. If we're not emotionally intelligent um, enough as organizations, then we're not going to be able to have those conversations. Exactly. And, and being able to admit, you know, our shortcomings is critical both on both sides. And I'm, I'm just envisioning a candidate, you know, um, going through the interview process and, you know, the whole strengths and, and weaknesses conversation comes up. Well, that's a great opportunity for the organization to say, hey, here are some training and development opportunities that we can provide to you to help you, you know, hone up on this, that, or the other thing. Um, that's the kind of place that I'd want to work. Somebody who's willing to invest in me and train me, train me up, you know, to, to be able to deliver exactly what, what that organization needs. Absolutely. This um, seems like a, a really practical example. I'm sorry, Kim. No, go for it. Go. <laughs> it, it, this dilemma of how do we be 
competently authentic in an interview about negative stuff without oversharing without and the point isn't to just be unproductively authentic i mean people can be like authentically terrible uh we're not trying to do that we're trying to be um, good and authentic um but how to do that in a process that is in some sense a sales process right and and companies are interviewing candidates because they need to hire, right? They need to sell a good candidate on working there. And, and the same thing with the candidates, right? So everybody has something at stake. And this is a, a dilemma I'm always pondering is how do we get people to take a step back from the bright, shiny need that is dominating the or driving the, the need for the process and step back and think about the relationship and the long-term consequences. And to your point, Kim, the investment required to make that person successful. Um, and this, I'll, I'll, I'll shout out for, for Kim's work. You know, about five years ago, we started using the PXT and I've been using it and learning it more ever since. Um, and doing bilateral assessments um, were somewhat new into this process, but so far it's been fantastic. And that is um, doing the PXT assessment with, with not just the candidate, but also the hiring authority or the manager of the candidate, and then facilitating uh, or introducing one another's assessment results to each other for them to have a conversation about how the complexities of their personality shows up in their job, what they like, what they don't like, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Because it's easy to say, well, we want to hire somebody who's good at everything. But that is just flat out naive, unrealistic, and set up for failure. Like it does not work, right? right? People say, I want somebody who can move fast and have great attention to detail. It doesn't exist. It does not exist, right? It's a unicorn, unless you want schizophrenia. <laughs> so how do we get people to just square up with that fact and realize like, I need to meet this person where they're at, where their personality is at. And the manager, people quit their managers, right? That, that cliche is so true. So how do we facilitate this high definition conversation of, of loyalty building, authenticity, respect, um, and helping these people figure out, like, how are we going to navigate the chaos that's going to be this job? Because nobody gets hired for jobs that don't have problems, right? We're all hired to solve problems for each other. Every business is in the business of making someone else's life better. So chaos and things not going to plan is part of the equation. How is this person going to show up? How do I, as their leader, show up for them? How do I help them, right? That, so the PXT has been tremendously helpful for getting that conversation going in a real world sense. Um, and out of the la-la land of, of saying like, oh, they're a fit for the job. It's like, well, frankly, no one's a fit for the job. If, if you think of the job as this sort of unitary, immobile, unflexible role, right. I mean, look at, any company out who's listening to this, think about a title that you have multiple people of, of that title in your company and think about their personalities and the way they do their job, what they're good at, what they're not good at. And I'm willing to bet that all of them are different, right? Nobody is doing exactly the same job, exactly the same way because they're bringing their personality to work in 
good ways in the role and 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 in maybe less good ways, right? And so how do we navigate that? That is that is seems like the problem to to figure out here in the hiring process, mm-hmm. which is where this emotional sensitivity comes in as such a competitive advantage for connecting with people and and really I like the word exploit, really exploiting their value. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that in a sense of, you know, if you want to be a high performance organization and you want to pay well, you want to be at the top of your field, you need to maximize the talent of everyone who works there. And the only way you do that is with emotional intelligence, right? And that's a team effort. That's not just the leader making unilateral decisions. That is a lot of empowerment and collaboration on how do we do this together absolutely brilliant TJ getting getting fired up here (laughs) yeah right that's my favorite part no you're absolutely right I actually had a can I'll give you an example of that happening I had a candidate um who was getting ready to take a role in an organization and we sat down and did that bilateral assessment process and the um, owner of the organization said, I know I'm quirky. I know I have some behaviors that are difficult to work with. I'm working on them all the time, but I need this candidate to know this because it's bit me in the butt multiple times. And so she said, I want you to be honest with him. I want you to show him my assessment. I want you to tell him exactly what he's up against here because I I want him to buy in from the get-go. And so we did, we sat down with him and went through, okay, here are the challenges about working with this particular individual. Um, And we did it in a way that was very, you know, she has strengths too. There's, you're going to learn a lot from this organization. There are some very positive things if you choose to join. Um, However, you have to know what the negative side of this is because every organization, to your point, TJ, every organization, every candidate has risks every single one of them. Right. Um, and so he was blown away by that TJ. He, and this was an upper executive who'd been in lots of organizations. And he said, I can't believe you have just changed my perspective on job hunting. He was Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to just get the next job. I really need to think about who I am as a candidate and what's going to be the next good fit for me? And I was like, that is extreme emotional intelligence, right? He recognized that it's not just about the job. It's about what am I going to be doing? Who am I going to be working with? What um, sort of management style is going to bring out the best in me? What sort of problems am I going to get to participate in? And and have the um, challenge of overcoming and solving, that is a rich employee-employer relationship. And I think that's where we need to get as organizations um, and as candidates too. We have a long way to go in, um, in teaching our candidates how to be vulnerable, right? and share um, these things as well. Before we go any further, I do want to, again, invite anybody who's listening to please jump in. We'd love to answer your questions. Um, If you've had some experiences with 
positive um, emotional intelligence experiences or negative emotional intelligence experiences. We'd love to hear those. Um, uh, what else can I answer for, or what other things are you guys thinking about in the emotional intelligence and hiring world that you think we need to touch on today? I have something I'd like to throw out there um, while TJ um, ponders your question. Um, I know that I've run into several uh, business owners, you know, the decision makers at an organization, and th there's some resistance because they think that emotional intelligence is the soft stuff. It isn't the stuff that, you know, you can count how many widgets are made as a result of investing in it. Um, you know, the, 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 just the resistance thinking that it's just too soft. Yeah. What are you, what are you two's thoughts on that? Go ahead, TJ. Oh man, I work in construction. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I love this question. <laughs> there is so much uh, opportunity for conflict in construction because you have so many parties who are, they're all trying to win and contribute to the project. And you see conflict between contractors and owners and with owner's reps and between subcontractors, all the trades are, everybody is trying to negotiate, right? And typically you see a superintendent who runs the project and their job in a way is to be impatient about getting the project done well. But let me tell you what, there is a massive difference in the careers of superintendents who have emotional intelligence and know how to ne negotiate through all of that chaos, much of it unreasonable chaos, people making mistakes, subs not showing up on time, subs prioritizing other jobs, right? But the superintendents who can navigate that with diplomacy, with respect, with kindness, but I'm not saying they're, they're pushovers. I mean, they have a job to get done, but their, their default isn't just throwing a fit, losing their cool, putting people in the threat response, which is back to Kelly's, um, you know, her, her illustration there. The more these construction professionals can keep people in the reward mindset, which starts with keeping yourself in the reward mindset. Um, they are dramatically more successful. I mean, we're talking about there are probably less than 10%. Let's be more generous. Let's say 15 or 20% perhaps of the construction professional workforce that's, that's really trying to solve problems this way. There's a lot of people who are trying to use more leverage they're trying to use emotions aggressively um, and it doesn't work. And, and this is one of the reasons why construction has a bit of a bad rap with newer generations because they don't want to work for, for jerks. Right. And now that the leverage has changed um, leaders don't get to be jerks anymore without paying a price in the turnover in their organization. So how do we navigate this? Right. How do we reframe the way we look at problems? I mean, Kelly, you and I have, have worked on it together. It's there's a there's a perspective that if it doesn't shift, 
um, will simply get outcompeted in this market, you know, in construction. That's so true. Thanks, mm -hmm. TJ. Yeah, I really think um, the key to all of this is education, right? We have to talk about it. We have to um, be out there educating the executives. Um, the, these kinds of conversations are really, really important. And I hope that the people listening today are, are sharing this information because obviously we're not getting paid to have this conversation. Um, but I think part of my why and my purpose is building that relationship. And if this facilitates um, those relationships by sharing it, then I've done my job and I will sleep well tonight. <laughs> so um, TJ, what's one thing you want to leave with, um, leave, leave listeners with, leave me with, leave Kelly with um, about emotional intelligence and hiring? I give some practical tips on emotionally intelligent interviewing. Yeah, please. I've got a bit of the list here. So um, hopefully this isn't too much. But I'd say the first thing is we need to get past the interview veneer. We need to get people's guards down, get them relaxed, get them comfortable, show them hospitality, um, establish agreement with them that we're not here to just look good. And this goes for the company and the interviewer as well. This is the opposite of this example you gave earlier where it's a panel and it's all very structured, right? Maybe they didn't have confidence that their interviewers are actually really relationally capable, but we've got to get the, past this interview veneer and we need to discern what's truly important to the candidate. Why is the candidate interviewing? And then why is that why they're why, right? And then what is really going on at the fundamental value level for this candidate and what they want in their life? And how do we give that to them? Like, can we give that to them? Can we meet them where they're at, where they want to go? Can we facilitate that? How do I, as a leader, serve this person? How do I work for them? How do I ensure I don't get fired by them in a year when the job turns out to be different than what they expected, or they're not getting the value that they thought they were signing up for? Um, we need to empower the candidate with a real view of the role, of its opportunities, of its challenges. Um, they need to go in eyes wide open. And the reason for this is they need to have informed commitment. So we can't expect them to be loyal if we've ambushed them with this job that was supposed to be great, working for this company that's supposed to be great. And maybe everybody's trying their best, but I've not yet met a perfect company. And so, you know, if we're willing to, to be vulnerable, authentic, competently vulnerable, um, then we can show them what's really going on in the role and what they're up against and find the person who can really solve that problem. Um, I think we need to create a plan of how to, how to manage the interview together. What does the candidate want to know? How do we help the candidate interview us, right? Because if I think I'm interviewing the candidate and I'm good at picking people, what I'm not what I don't have awareness of is how is this person picking me? What's their commitment level to me? Why would this person want to go to work for me? Yeah. And I want to be able to answer that question as a leader before I commit to investing in this person. And maybe I'm not the right leader, right? So right. you know, they might be on paper the best hire, but it can still be a mistake to hire them because the relationship isn't what it needs to be. Yeah. 
And being emotionally intelligent is recognizing you might not be the best fit for them. Yes. Right? That's right. On both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I love that, TJ. Keep going. So two more, um, two more tips. Ask follow-up questions to get past shallow answers. And don't see shallow answers as evasiveness. A lot of times people just don't know the depth that you want. So they give you the pat answer and um it's not that they don't want to give you more answers. They just don't know. So ask follow-up questions to really dig, dig into their motives, dig into their psyche, into their priorities and motivations and goals and aspirations and challenges and fears. You need to get to know the person as a leader. There's no way to lead without intimacy. They have to feel known. I mean, if you look at Patrick Lencioni's three signs of a miserable job, one of those things is not being known as the unique human being that people are. I mean, it's a great, great parable book. If you want to go read Three Signs of a Miserable Job, fantastic. Won't take you very long. Very interesting read. Um, But people have to feel known and respected as special humans. And the last point is find out what kind of people they've worked for and what they admire in those people, what they dislike in those people, what they learn from those experiences and use that to inform your perspective on what they're looking for, what they need, what they dislike, right? And and you can use that as a frame to look at yourself as their potential leader and mentor and decide once again is this an investment that I can I can make? Can I really show up for this person as they need me to? Hmm. I hope that wasn't too much. <laughs> no, that was spot on and I think a good takeaway for everyone, including myself, um, on how to conduct a emotionally intelligent interview. I love it. Thank you for sharing. That was great. Kelly, do you have any last minute nuggets of wisdom about EI and hiring and not, it doesn't even have to be in hiring. It could be about engagement, right? And how do we, once we've got these people in our organizations, how do we keep them there? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think one of the underlying themes of this entire you know, session besides emotional intelligence is the importance of relationships, mm-hmm. relationship building, relationship maintenance. Um, how do we take those relationships to the next level? And really what we're talking about is having a better understanding about what's important to mm-hmm. each other, you know, to the candidate, to the, to the hiring manager, to the company. And then how well are we demonstrating um, those things? And if we can close the gap on, you know, if something's really, really important, but we're not demonstrating it, then what do we got to do to close that gap? What are those behaviors or those actions that we can take? Because this, the stuff is learnable. Um, And so that's the beauty of, in my opinion, emotional intelligence is that if people just care enough to want to move the needle and get just a little bit better, they can learn how to do that. Absolutely. I love it. Can I, can I say here, just anecdotally from my experience, both of you have made substantial contributions to improving my quality of life. Kim, through your work in helping me understand personality dynamics in my company, in client companies, um, with candidates, that is invaluable. That report shows you so much about who people are and it's still two-dimensional, right? No personality report is the whole picture, but 
I mean, it takes years to learn that stuff otherwise and can cost too much, frankly, any other way. And then Kelly, your work um, to help me avoid that threat mindset and not only keep myself in the reward mindset, but help other people to stay in that space. I, I really believe it's um, a big part of the reason why I'm, I'm hopeful that to build a business that doesn't repeat some of my father's mistakes. Um, and so to anybody listening here, like this is real world stuff that qualitatively improves lives. And uh, I think Kim and Kelly bring a lot to the table, you know, when it comes to improving your business and consequently the experience you have running or leading in a business. Thank you, TJ. That's very, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Very kind of you. And I think I said it at the beginning, I am uh, proud to just be a part of this conversation because you two truly are experts at what you do. And what I love about you, each of you is that you're not just doing the job. You're really trying to break open. How do we do it better? How do we do it um, more effectively? How do we do it more efficiently? And I love those conversations. I, um, I thrive on those conversations and you two give that to me. So thank you. I hope that um, this was valuable for you guys as much as it was for me. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me if you want TJ or Kelly's contact information. Um, I, I'm happy to pass can that along. Give, can we just give it here? Yeah, go for it. So you can find my company at ambassadorgroup.com. And my email is tj at ambassadorgroup.com. And I'm happy to connect with anyone who's on this journey and, uh, and try to support you in whatever way you'd, you'd need that. Oh, uh, I guess I should say we do construction recruiting, typically like entry level to senior level managers, mostly focused on companies on the West Coast, construction industry companies. Perfect. And I can be reached at uh, my website is kellyashbyconsulting.com. And my email is kelly at kellyashbyconsulting.com. And my first name is a little bit unique. It has two E's, K-E-L-L-E-Y. So I usually have to explain that. Um, basically what I do is I'm a consultant, trainer, and coach. I'm looking to build and maintain high-performing teams and individuals. And my main tool is emotional intelligence development. Thanks, Kim, for having me here. Absolutely. And you all can reach me at kiml at hiringstrategies.com. Thank you both. Have a Thank wonderful you. rest of your day. And I look forward to having more of these brilliant conversations with each of you. It's very fun. Take yeah. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.